Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me. Laura, how are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of fighting the bug a little bit. I am a little bit. I think I'm on the other side of it, but yeah, yeah. it's just that time of year. I think everybody I know has something. (laughs) That's right. Yep. Absolutely. COVID is really going around. Lots of folks with that. Yeah. So, well, we are thankful that you're with us for um, SBC this week. Lots of things happening in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Laura, we have some uh, special emphasis Sundays. We obviously have the Veterans Day holiday uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, We have some obits from this week to talk Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Um, So a very wide-ranging program for folks today. A lot of different things, yep. Yeah, Um, but, you know, state convention season is kind of coming to a close. Really, there's just one more week of state conventions. That's right, You and um, you've been enjoying your travel, but I'm sure you're kind of ready to be home for a while. You know, it's it's one of those things, so I don't love being away from my family, definitely not. Um, but there is some encouragement um, from being out there and uh, talking to Southern Baptist and seeing how the Lord is at work through his churches. And, um, you know, it, it has been encouraging. Uh, we, we were talking earlier in prep for the podcast, and um, I don't know, I was just kind of rattling off some things uh, mm-hmm. that, that that really, that there, there are some themes that, that you see throughout the state conventions. Um, and the first is is what we see over and over. And uh, to me, this is one of the reasons that I'm so grateful for this role at Baptist Press is that we are able to regularly see the generosity of Southern Baptist. Um, for sure. Yeah, you know? I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I just think I wish everybody could think could see it as closely as I feel like I get to see it. You know, yeah. it's just encouraging all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just we hear about it through uh, mission endeavors, through sending missionaries, through mission trips, through partnerships, disaster um, relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many yeah. things. Church planting, um, chaplains, on and on and on. Um, and so, so that that generosity just runs through the cooperative program, but it, it really just runs through Southern Baptist. And so, uh, so that that is always something to celebrate, something to encouraging to hear about. Education is a big theme that that I'm hearing this year. Um, I, I've been encouraged by the number of pastors who talk about pursuing education, but then also the number of pastors who are helping others in their pursuit. And so, um, I've talked to a good number of pastors who are either their ad adjunct professors at one of our seminary campuses, um, or they are helping teach through an online setting, or they are at the forefront of an extension center. And um, and they, they talk about the great work that's being done on the seminary campuses. And then just I'm seeing the impact of how the Lord is using those seminary um, extension centers, the online presence to raise up pastors and missionaries. Um, and you know, I think what we say the next generation, like that's sometime off in the future, really it's happening now. I mean, yeah, it is happening yeah. today. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then <laughs> I, I feel like the state conventions to some degree, like, like, you know, how, um, a subheading that that that's what I'm looking for. It, it feels like if there's a subheading to so many of the state conventions, it should be an IMB convention or a NAM convention. Um, I'm just always so impressed of, of the presence um, uh, of those ministries and 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 the entities and how they are partnering with state conventions and the work that's going on there. Guidestone 
is there helping. Um, ERLC is out there. The seminaries, uh, Baptist colleges are there. I mean, yeah. on and on. So it, it's interesting the the little reunions that, that I see happening in the convention uh, in the exhibit hall, and um, and then watching folks talk and and uh, just um, encourage each other and. Uh, strategize and, and all kinds of things happening there. Um, you know, as we think about missions, Laura, we had a, a really neat occurrence this week. We're in North Carolina and Charles Grant was at that one from the executive committee. Um, and he was so encouraged uh, by the sending celebration there where they, they uh, had a unique sending celebration where 30 North Carolina Baptists were sent out on mission. Yeah, and we had a story from North Carolina uh, that they sent us this week in Baptist Press. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, I think, the first of its kind, at least that, as far as they can can tell. It was the first time that a state had had a sending celebration for missionaries from that state. We yeah. talked about that a little bit last week, mm-hmm. and that there's this um, kind of a special thing in North Carolina where the churches there are very mission-minded and send more missionaries per capita than other places. And uh, so we, that was on display again at the North Carolina annual meeting that mm-hmm. and Paul Chitwood, IMB president was there and and delivered the convention sermon and participated in that sending celebration. And yeah, it was just kind of, it's an interesting thing. If you like, whatever that magic is in North Carolina, let's Let's spread it around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I tell you what, you know, it, it's it's not just in the South or in one particular state convention. In the last um, two weeks, I've been in Mississippi. I've been to the Utah-Idaho convention in Idaho. I've been to um, the Ohio convention. I've been to the Illinois convention. And th- there's just a, a sense of um, excitement and enthusiasm about this cooperative program uh, partnership that that we have to to lean into together, and so it does um, seem that way because I get to read all of the reports that come in too because every all the state conventions send us their information and we run a report about just what happened at their meeting and what their new initiatives might be or what their CP expectations are and things like that and it always it's always so encouraging. I yeah. mean, every one of them, it's just so it's just really neat to see. Absolutely. So commitments to leadership, transparency, partnership, they're they're just at the forefront over and over and over. So so keep up the great work. Very, very encouraging. Well, before we get into our stories for the week, we want to thank our presenting sponsor and let you hear from them. And that is Subsplash. If you're a pastor who wants to engage with your congregation and build connections beyond weekend services, Subsplash can help. Subsplash allows your community to access messages, resources, and even give from one place, helping congregations connect in ways you never could have before. Learn more at subsplash.com forward slash SBC. When you use that link, you'll get a special discount, but you have to use the link. Again, it's subsplash.com forward slash SBC. All right, Laura, so as we get into our stories, we want to start first with the Emphasis Sunday. It's an important one coming up this Sunday, November the 12th. That's right. It is Orphans and Widows Sunday. Um, this is us to us our opportunity to practice the true gospel, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. That's right. That's what James uh, said. That's mm-hmm. right. Caring for our orphans and widows. Two stories in Baptist Press this week about this very topic. Um, we had uh, a story about... Uh, Caring for widows. We just interviewed a, a senior adult minister in North Carolina, Kelvin Mosley, mm-hmm. at Biltmore Church in North Carolina, and he gave some good insights just about how to minister to uh, to widows, very specific things that they do at his church, 
And I thought one of one really helpful one was he said how important it is to keep up with them long after the spouse has died. He said mm-hmm. it's he sees it often where the widow is sort of smothered with attention and care in those first early days and weeks right after the death of a spouse. And then months after they can feel neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, this is his quote, the grief has a beginning. It just doesn't have an ending until we get to heaven. That's a good one. And uh, I thought that was mm-hmm. really, really good. And uh, something just for us all to remember, I'm sure all of us know it's quite a few widows in our churches. And it's just just to remember that they they could still be grieving, even if it's been years and and just how, how can we minister to them? Sometimes it looks like a ride to church. Sometimes it looks like mowing their grass or just come, coming and spending some time with them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Another story, this is also from North Carolina. We've been talking a lot about North Carolina, but I found this story and I just said, we have to run this. It's so great. And it's um, especially leading up to Orphan uh, Care Sunday. <clears throat> it's a story about a young man named Tyrell. He was 13. This was a little over a year ago, I guess, because he's 14 now. And he had spent almost his whole life inside his small bedroom. Mm. Um, he had apparently some disabilities. It's hard to know for sure. Uh, his his parents just didn't feel, his family didn't feel he was really worth um, spending any time on or educating. He never went to school. He barely went outside. Uh, he had to go to the hospital for some health concerns. And then when it was time for him to be discharged, his family was nowhere to be found. Hmm. And they, they didn't come and pick him up. Wow. So he entered the foster care system there in North Carolina. And of course, our Baptist children's home there, Southern Baptists have uh, um, involvement with the foster care system in the state, and we're trying to find a home for him, and found him a home with a couple named John and Aaron in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Mm. And Tyrell has been in their house now about a year, and he has completed second grade studies. And uh, they say he's excelling, doing great, like just flipping through school, you know, because mm. he's fourteen, but he's never been to school, so he's yeah. having to learn from scratch. He's uh, learned how to fish. He loves going fishing. <laughs> And uh, he accepted Christ in June, in earlier awesome. this summer. So wow. it was just a fun story. And he's about to be adopted. In fact, they're adopting Tyrell. So I I thought it was such a sweet, sweet story. And there's a video that goes along with it. It's just so touching. And you get to see Tyrell and hear him, hear him a little bit and tell his story. And mm. um, so something for us all to just be aware of as we approach Orphans and Widows Sunday on the 12th. Yeah. You know, I think that um, the, the Lord is faithful. And then um, he... Yeah. He cares for those um, who are in such great need. I think it's so easy for us to be so busy in our lives that we forget that there are people with such significant need around us, and and they're they're really right around us with mm-hmm. with widows and and those who are um in our in our state care, um just you know in, in need of foster care, in need of families to to come, or families who need some help um, for us to to surround them. And so I've, I hope folks will. Certainly check out Send Relief and the and the and the orphan care work that they do. I hope you'll check out your state conventions, uh, children's home, and mm-hmm. um, you know we we were very blessed our our church family here in Kentucky uh, just a few weeks ago to uh, give a gift to Sunrise Children's Services, which is ours here in Kentucky. And so um, you know uh, that there is that 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 is a great investment um, yeah. in, in the work that that's going on there. And later on in this podcast, you're you're talking with uh, Kristen Lowry who is involved mm-hmm. with us in relief uh, with Southern Baptist efforts to care for 
for orphans. And so stick around for that interview. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have Aaron Mraz on next week with us from Mission Dignity. And Mm -hmm. he's going to talk about that as we approach the holiday season and uh, Giving Tuesday. And so, um, you know, Mission Dignity is there to care for uh, ministry uh, widows. Um, And and so there there are there's great need, but there's great opportunity to, to serve and to come alongside. Well, speaking of serving, Laura, um, another thing that's happening this weekend is Veterans Day. And so uh, this is a a holiday that um, it's really shifted um, in our family in the last few years. Uh, One of the reasons. Very personal. It is. It's very personal. So so sort of a minor reason it shifted is because our our two youngest are now in the high school marching band. And so they're participating in the Veterans Day parade. And so that's fun to go and be a part of that. But then then my two oldest sons, um, uh, one is now a veteran and the other one is still in, in active duty. And um, so so uh, my both of my grandfathers were veterans. My dad's a veteran. And now um, uh, one of my sons is a veteran. And so it, it's a lot of fun. Yesterday, I was I was talking to him as I was headed home and um, and his name is Maddox. And Maddox was saying, well, I'm going to sit down with grandpa when I get home and uh, we're going to chart out what we're going to do on Saturday. And so what that means. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know what this means. (laughs) If you were a veteran, there are lots of opportunities at free stuff on Veterans Day. And so, um, I mean, like it was to the point to where Maddox was talking about who he was going to take free food to, that that they were going to collect it (laughs) and then deliver it to other grandparents to cousins. I mean, that, that sort of thing. Did you get so, in there somewhere? Did you get a, um, on the my list? name? My name was not mentioned. I'll just <laughs> leave it right there. <laughs> well, I think you need to change that. It's surprising how that happens, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we'll just let that one stay right there. Uh, but, but we've, we've got some great veterans day stories, uh, Laura on Baptist press. Yeah, the North American Mission Board sent us two Veterans Day stories this this year. Um, two features. One is uh, one of their chaplains, uh, and this is a gentleman named Paul Davis, mm-hmm. and who's a Vietnam veteran. He flew more than seven hundred missions in Vietnam, and he um, he was almost killed a number of times. One wow. in particular, he talks about. He was about to fly a mission, and his captain came and said, "Hey, I'm going to take your place on this mission right before." it left Mm. and ended up just a few minutes later the helicopter got shot down and both of the men inside were killed wow and he just talks about i was supposed to be on that mission and and so he just was it was further and further confirmation that the lord had intentions for him yeah so uh for now for 45 years he has been working in prison ministry Mm. and he's a nam endorsed chaplain and uh, just to kind of give you an idea just in the last six months more than 70 men have made decisions for Christ in mm. uh, as a result of this prison ministry. And he That's said, so good. So he asked this question. He said, why did God spare my life in Vietnam? It wasn't to get a bunch of medals and pats on the back. He left me here for his glory. Wow. So that's a neat story. You should read that whole thing in Baptist it's fantastic. Press. It is. And then another story <clears throat> this week, Jared Huntley has planted three churches in the last 10 years. Two of them are in military communities. Right now, he is a uh, church planner in San Antonio. He's planning mm-hmm. a church called Pillar Church there. There are apparently uh, about a quarter of a million veterans in and around San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And so Huntley, who's also a veteran, he served six years in the military. He said his service put such a burden 
on his heart to reach uh, military officials and military uh, service people. And uh, he he said it also feels like he it feels like he kind of it kind of prepared him to do what he's doing now. Mm. Uh, he's a Nam Sind Network church planner, and um, Nam is now be starting to be very intentional about planning churches in military communities. Mm. Um, just there's such a need. It there's is so much. There's such a need for absolutely encouragement and ministry, and there's a need for kind of a network so that when because they move so much, mm-hmm. you know, they might move to a whole new city, and it's nice to know that there's a similar church. That they can get plugged into pretty quick, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, Nam has become more intentional about this. And um, Jared Huntley is one of those people that's kind of leading out, helping lead out in that effort. You can find more information about that at sendnetwork.com/slash/military. Yeah, yeah, so good. the The need is is um, just as you said, it's it's real, and mm-hmm. so thankful for Nam for them yeah. uh, seeing that and responding to it, and so many folks um, responding uh, to God's call and. Uh, serving our our military in, in that way as chaplain. So mm-hmm. uh, so make sure to tell a veteran thank you um, over this weekend and um, definitely pray for our country and pray for just the, the scene around the world right now. Lots of uncertainty, lots, lots mm-hmm. of hot spots in our yeah. world today. So uh, Laura, we had a couple of obits to come in this week that we want to share about some folks, some some men that the Lord used um, them and their ministry in in mighty ways, and so we we celebrate their faithfulness and uh, just celebrate the the ministry that they had and the fact that they are now with the Lord, who they served so long and so faithfully. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, the first one of those was Roger Spradlin, and um, I actually have been working at Baptist Press and at the executive committee long enough to have been here when uh, Roger was the chairman of the executive committee, served on the EC for a long time, mm. and then was the chairman for a couple of years, uh, 2010 to 2012. Um, some people may remember his name from a long time ago, even longer, when he was on the study committee for the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Okay, he Served on that committee that was chaired by Adrian Rogers and and helped uh, come up with our new statement of faith or, or updated, I guess, uh, statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also was the, one of the first to serve uh, when the credentials committee was repurposed in 2019 to sort of look into questions that come up about whether a church is in friendly cooperation with the convention. Uh, hmm. So he was one of the first to serve on that committee, which was a really important, we've talked about that here on the podcast, what a, what a big job that is and how Absolutely. important it is. And uh, he's been a trustee of Southern Seminary as well. He delivered the convention sermon at the annual meeting in Phoenix in 2017. Hmm. Um but maybe most important, he uh, has been was the pastor of Val- uh, Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, since 1985. He helped plant that church a long time ago and was a faithful pastor for all those decades. He retired earlier this year. He was diagnosed with cancer about a year ago mm-hmm. and retired in February of this year. And uh, just um, he's one of those you just hear his name and it just seems like he's done everything. You know, yeah. he's just served on all the committees and done all the things. Just a real, but also not didn't really seem to seek the spotlight too much. Yeah. He just sort of served it behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Just a h- humble servant who who loved yeah. the Lord, loved the church, loved the SBC. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, um, also, Lloyd Elder, um, who was right. the president of Lifeway Christian Resources from 1984 to 91, passed away. Um, he oversaw the production of several low-cost editions of the Bible. Um, that was an attempt to get God's Word into as many hands as possible. Yeah, some of these I remember when I was uh, looking at his obit, I thought, 
oh yeah, I remember when the Here's Hope Bible mm-hmm. came out and the Good News Bible. I remember these and just kind of um, maybe revolutionary in some ways, like to buy to be able to buy a paperback Bible for five dollars or whatever yeah. it was. Um, yeah, so that was an interesting. I, I didn't realize that he had sort of been the, one of the ones over overseeing that. Yeah, um, and I, I always felt like those versions of the Bible were um, very that they were aimed at evangelism. That's right. Yeah, and so that that was the ultimate intent was to not only get those in the hands of church folks, but for church folks to get those in the hands of their neighbors, their friends, their family who didn't have a Bible, who didn't know the Lord. And so, um, I, you know, I've, I've appreciated those over the years of being able to have something that we could uh, affordably put into a bag and go out and hang them on doors and uh, share God's word in an evangelistic way. Yeah. So it was neat. It was neat to see that. You just never know. He was 90 years mm-hmm. old, Lloyd mm-hmm. Elder. So he mm-hmm. lived a long time. And you just never know what 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 impact does that have on eternity? Who mm-hmm. Who got a Bible in their hands that otherwise would never have had a Bible? And how did God use that in their life? And, and so that's that's just neat to think about. He yeah. also, before he was at Lifeway, he was a vice president at Southwestern Seminary. He also served with the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. And then after he left Lifeway, he uh, was a professor at Belmont University here in Nashville. Mm. And then for years after, he uh, sort of was, his ministry was helping build leadership skills in ministry, mm. in ministers. And so he, a lot of ways that he served in that way. So you can see that, all of that in Baptist Press too. Yeah, very good. Well, this week we got our CP numbers in and the story came out. So as we get a brand new fiscal year underway, uh, at the moment, CP giving is below budget just a little bit, 5.3% to be exact. Um, One of the factors is that five of the states had not yet reported their CP. Um, So it's a little too early to call that a trend. Um, And you know, just yeah. worth noting historically that CP fiscal year typically starts out slow um, as the numbers are from late summer. So, um, but anyway, so the new CP year is underway and we just encourage folks to to keep giving and keep encouraging others to give and to lean into that, uh, that, that great cause. Uh, sure. Laura, Li- Lifeway sent us um, some stories this week that were very interesting about folks who have changed churches. Um, I've never seen that that phrase like that, church switchers. Church switchers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I just thought this was fascinating. They said it was in two parts because it was a lot of data. Mm-hmm. So they split it up into two different stories. And both of them are really interesting. First of all, I I would have pegged this number higher, mm-hmm. um, but it says that 53% of people surveyed say that they have switched churches at some point in their adult life. Mm. I would have said it was higher than that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so I was actually kind of surprised that it was only 53%, but I thought that was cool. And But of those, of the 53% who have changed churches, most of those, 60, 60% of those changed because they moved, which is yeah. pretty... You know, that's pretty uh, understandable that they yeah. didn't, it didn't leave because they were mad or no. whatever. They just, they just relocated. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But other reasons that people gave for changing churches was that something changed at their old church that they didn't like it okay. or they were was not meeting their needs in some way. Okay. Um, or um, so there was a conflict or something. As you Sure. Said. It happens. Um, but it was encouraging that I thought that most people that do change churches do it because just because they moved, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, of the ones that do change churches, when, or when they do, what are they mm-hmm. looking for? And that was another part of the study. 
Um, well, the biggest share, which this is also, you know, you would pretty much under- expect this, mm-hmm. 56% said it was the beliefs and the doctrine of the church is the biggest thing that they were worried about or concerned mm-hmm. about, of course. And then the preaching. Okay. But other important things that they look for are authenticity, okay. the care that the, the members show toward one another, and the unity of the members. And so interesting. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So those yeah. are things to keep in mind. Yeah, very helpful. Um, definitely, definitely a helpful uh, story for pastors yeah, to and read. Yeah, there's and, much, much more than yeah. what I just gave. I mean, those stories yeah. are just packed with interesting insight. Yep, yep, very interesting. Uh, we also heard, um, uh, a, a, I guess, sort of an announcement um, of a nomination for SBC president. It's not the official nomination, but but some movement happening there. Clint Presley, pastor at Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, was asked this week at a pastor's conference in North Carolina if he would be open to running for SBC president. And he said that he would be open to running Mm -hmm. for SBC president. So he told us that that was not necessarily an official announcement, but he did confirm that there is movement in that. And so, um, so we, we have, I feel, uh, obligated to say, uh, as a representative of Amy Whitfield, uh-huh. that the official nomination doesn't happen until you're on the floor of the That's meeting. That's true. Yeah, in so Indianapolis he, next year. Yeah. So. so he was open to being nominated. <laughs> How about right. that? We'll get our we'll get our language there, so yeah. we stay out of trouble with Amy, <laughs> um, which is always a great place to be. Out of trouble with Amy is a of great course. place. I yeah, I try to live there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Laura, we also received um, a statement. From the Chinese Fellowship, it came to us through the California Southern Baptist Convention. And um, in that statement, uh, the Chinese Baptists discuss how the definitions of the New Testament words for pastor, elder, and overseer are translated and used in their language, and then how that affects people's understanding and the application, like the, the role, the way those function out, uh, those words uh, come to life in the local church. Yeah, so the it's the Chinese Baptist Fellowship of the USA and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, this is um, a long-standing organization within the SBC Life, mm-hmm. and they put out this statement. Uh, I guess to sort of weigh in on what a lot of people have been talking about is right. Um, what what roles should women have in our local churches, and what should those titles be, and how what should that look like? Right. So this was sort of their commentary about that. Um, and they explain kind of how it works in Chinese Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. And then they they just talked about how the translation of the different words in the New Testament that are used, uh, like pastor, elder, overseer, those words, how what that looks like in their context. And so it's a really helpful statement. Um, and uh, I would encourage everyone to go read it. It just kind of gives some helpful context for how how we look at this, because sometimes we can talk about it. Because we're speaking English and thinking about it in English and not think about, okay, but what does this mean for somebody who who's looking at it in a different way and in a different language? And so yeah. it was really interesting. Yeah. We've had similar things come to us from NAF as they've, they've yeah. talked about it culturally. Yeah. Um, and then, then uh, the Hispanic community has also talked about it. We've uh, had that. Yeah, we had a story the, about that in BP too. Yeah. Yep, sure did. So, so the Chinese are or coming alongside them and and helping. So it's, it's useful to have these conversations, um, very, very helpful as we uh, minister together. Um, also this week, Laura, we had a story about an amicus brief filed in support of Will McGraney 
In his case against the North American Mission Board, it contains 62 signatures, including three current state execs, um, a current executive committee trustee and a former EC president and CEO, and that is Morris Chapman. Uh, Randy Adams, the state exec of the Northwest Baptist Convention, said on X which is still weird, Twitter Mm -hmm. last week, um, last weekend, that he was leading the way in the brief. Um, McGraney's case was originally filed in 2017, and he claims that NAM conspired against him while he was state exec in Maryland, Delaware. Um, Of course, NAM denies that. The case has been dismissed a couple of times as recently as late summer. And uh, one other interesting note in that story is that in a Facebook video, the McGraney said that a state convention made a financial contribution to help their legal expenses. Now, uh, we had a Baptist Press reporter, Scott Barkley, to look into that. He checked with the three state conventions that signed on to the brief, and they all said it was not them. So we're continuing to do some work on that as well. So movement there in the McGraney um, versus Nam case. All right. So, Laura, as we said earlier, this Sunday is Widow and Orphan Sunday on the SBC Emphasis Calendar. That's right. And uh, you you have gone far, far away to, to provide us an interview this week. Like you went even farther than when you were in Idaho last week. Yes, or, a little farther than weeks, Idaho. Whenever that was. <laughs> yes. But thankfully, I didn't have to get on a plane to do That's this. That's right. Right. Yeah. That, thank you to technology. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Brandon, uh, you, op- you had the opportunity to interview Kristen Lowry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've actually known Kristen since she was mm-hmm. a student at Union University a long, long time ago. Um, so we've known each other a long time. And now she has lived in Kenya now. Goodness, I don't even know a long time. Mm-hmm. And this help has uh, had ministry to orphans there in Kenya and is now uh, helping send relief as uh, one of the coordinators for their orphan care ministry. So it's a good yeah. conversation with Kristen. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you got to reach out and talk to her. Yeah, absolutely. She has ties to IMB. She has ties to Send Relief. She has ties to uh, Baptist Press and 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 writing and photography. And then she also has. Um, I just barely missed working with her at Kentucky Today, the uh, state paper oh, for wow. the Kentucky Baptist That's right. Convention. I forgot she worked there mm-hmm. for a little while too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We, we a triple threat. I always she say. Is. Yep, yeah. We we reminisce, but we just barely <laughs> missed each other. So she is a very talented lady, yeah. and um, we're so thankful to hear from her. Well, Christian, thanks for joining us to talk about this important Sunday. Um, Before we talk about the Emphasis Sunday, why don't you tell us a little bit about your ministry? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, Like you said, my name is Kristen. I serve outside of Nairobi, Kenya. Um, I serve as the International Orphan Care Consultant with Send Relief. Send Relief is the compassion ministry that's um, a collaboration between the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board for doing mercy ministry, both in the U.S. and around the world. Um, And so I work with them to help churches and missionaries and individuals to know how they can serve orphans well in the majority world. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that, how how they, uh, you know, by they, we mean Southern Baptist, how how can they serve um, orphans well in the majority world? Yeah, well, this Orphan and Widow Sunday, I I would really like Southern Baptists to think about how we've been doing orphan care. So we've been celebrating this, um, this day on the Southern Baptist calendar for years with people from around the world. Um, and usually when we think about orphan care, our, um, our response to that scriptural call to care for orphans has historically been one of two things, and that's either been adoption um, or it's been serving at orphanages or supporting orphanages. 
And the more we learn um, and the more research comes out, the more we realize that orphanages are not great for kids. Um, So long-term institutional care can be detrimental to children. Um, They can have higher rates of suicide, homelessness, um, exploitation as they get older. And so what I really want to call Southern Baptist to this year is to rethink how we're doing orphan care, especially in the majority world. Um, as we pray for orphans, as we serve those in our communities through foster care or supporting foster families, um, to just think through those issues around the world. Okay. When when you use that phrase, majority world, just in case someone's not familiar with that phrase, what do you mean? So in the global South and countries that are less developed um, than the U.S., a lot of times what happens is that we will come in and build an orphanage. And even if there's not what we would consider orphans in that community, people will see that as an opportunity for free schooling, um, for free food, and they'll put their kids there. So the percentage, the the statistic is that 80% of children in orphanages have a living family member who would like to care for them. And the reason most of them are actually in orphanages is poverty, not lack of family ties. And so what, what does that look like for Southern Baptists as they come into this Emphasis Sunday? So the first thing that Southern Baptists can do is to pray for orphans. You can pray for orphans in your neighborhood, um, in your community. Uh, You can support those who are doing foster care, or if you're called to do foster care, do that. Um, And also pray for those in the rest of the world. Um, Beyond that, the next steps are to educate yourself. So um, as the International Orphan Care Consultant for Send Relief, um, I'm happy to talk to churches who have been involved in orphan care. Um, wherever that might be, um, and to help them really think through the strategy that they have for caring for orphans and whether that is the best strategy for where they're working, um, to connect them to missionaries in that area or to projects that are doing good family-based care ministry that can keep kids with their families. Hmm. Talk to us about maybe a a church that comes to mind that, that you connected with and tell us a little bit of that story. Yeah, well, we've just started this initiative, um, so I don't have too many stories yet, um, but I can tell you about an initiative that we're hoping for to launch next year, Okay, um, if that's helpful. Sure. So we're working on launching an initiative for next year um, where churches can come over um, to Kenya specifically to begin with, and then we're hoping to you know, widen that to around the world. But can come over as a church, um, can connect with some family-based care ministries. So churches that are reach or ministries that are reaching out to kids on the street, ministries that are doing poverty alleviation, ministries that are helping with education needs, and do this in the context with a local pastor. Um, and so the hope for that is that churches, both in the states and in Kenya, can come together with prayer. Um, having experiences, sharing meals together, studying the Bible together, and come away from that experience with ways that they can both help children in their communities um, to be in strong, healthy families through the local church. Um, and so that's that's something that we're working toward. Um, I'm happy to talk with anyone who's interested in that. Uh, we're hoping to launch next year and have churches be able to come out and experience that um, and help them think through the best way that they can do orphan care in their community and also support a church somewhere else to do orphan care in their community. Yeah, that's great. Um, what are some ways that Southern Baptists can be praying for you and for your family as you guys uh, pursue this ministry? 
Um, I appreciate that. Um, so I also serve as the co-executive director of a ministry here called Shelter Yetu. Um, and we rescue uh, children living on the streets, off of the streets, and help reunite them with family. Um, so you can pray for the 120 children that come through our doors every year, um, that we would be able to help them find healing and hope um, and to be reunited with safe and loving families. And then, you know, pray for my family. I've got four kids at home and uh, it's busy times when you have four kids at home. Absolutely. Anything else that, that you'd want to add? Um, I I don't know if this is helpful, but okay. sometimes when I'm speaking with people about this issue, I like to do um, a thought experiment of sorts. Okay. So ask people to imagine um, if, you know, if for some reason you you know, think of a child that you love. And if for some reason their parents or primary caregivers weren't able to care for them, right? So I can think of one of my children. Um, if me and my husband were to die in a tragic accident, where would I want them to go? Um, and for me, that answer is pretty easy, right? It would be grandparents. Well, and if grandparents also weren't available, if they died in the same tragic accident, where would I want them to go? Well, it would be an aunt and uncle. And as we think through that, how long would it take us to get to institutional care, Right. If that's not where you would want your own children or a child you love to end up, um, we have to ask ourselves at some point, why are we building and funding a solution for other children that we don't want for our own children? So, Laura, after the interview, Kristen and I just sort of chatted a few minutes longer. Um, well, as long as we could. So so something you you. I don't think you can hear it in the interview, but the electricity was off there in Kenya. And Which so I think she, happens a lot. Yeah. 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 And um, so, so she, she was running off the battery on her phone and, uh, or the battery on her computer and connected to the internet through her phone because of the electricity issues. So we didn't have a lot of time to chat when it was over, but, but we talked some about domestic and international adoption. Um, I thought it was interesting. She encourages folks to keep pursuing, um, especially international adoption, but at the same time to remember that windows open and close for those opportunities. And so to go back just to what she talked about in the interview and remind us to always be thinking about ways to help families be united on a local level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's she's doing a really uh, important work right now with Send Relief and just about how we think about orphan care um, sort of what our default is on that, maybe changing that mm -hmm. a little bit. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great transition into our history moment for this week, Laura. Uh, we're going to talk about Paul Chipwood and Paul and Michelle Chipwood have been foster parents. They have uh, that they are adopted adoptive parents, and so so they they have known the the ups and downs of foster care and adoption. But that's not necessarily what we want to highlight here in this history moment. No. So last week, you may remember, I took us all the way back to 1948 for our history moment. Um, this year, we are not going back quite that far. In fact, we're only going back five years. Um, everyone listening will maybe even remember this moment. Um, this week, five years ago, Paul Chitwood was elected president of the International Mission Board. Um, mm -hmm. He was elected unanimously by the trustees of the IMB in 2018. And you may remember that he had served on the IMB's board uh, earlier in uh, the 2000s from 02 until 2010. And then he was chairman for the last two of those years. Mm -hmm. And he told trustees that he had felt God calling him for about a decade, that he was supposed to be a part of mobilizing missionaries in some way. 
And of course, maybe he didn't realize that it would be sort of the head mobilizer. But mm-hmm. here he is five years later, uh, ever af- after uh, assuming that role. And he is mobilizing more than maybe anybody else. Yeah. And um, even at the beginning, earlier on in the podcast, we talked about um, the state conventions and what's what IMB is doing there and how even in North Carolina, he was there just this week mobilizing missionaries and literally mobilizing, like literally sending them out. And so um, congratulations to Paul Chitwell on five years at IMB. Absolutely. It has been a fast five years. Um, yeah, it really has. You know, that that was so, so I was on staff at the Kentucky Baptist Convention when that happened. And um, I tell you what, it was a little bit of a confusing time for us as a staff, because when he pulled us together to tell us what was happening, um, it was hard to not be very sad that he was leaving because he was he's such a great leader and he was so well loved, not only like among our staff, but out in the state. So, so it was hard to not be sad, but then at the same time, just such tremendous joy and excitement about how the Lord was going to use him now in this role with the IMB. Well, um, I have to, I'm just going to brag a little bit. And uh, I called it when, when there was an opening at IMB, Mm -hmm. he was just in my mind because I knew that he had been chairman and I had heard him speak about it a mm-hmm. few times and I had read quotes and BP stories just about his heart for missions and how he, what kind of a mobilizer he was and stuff. And I called it the day I I told one of my coworkers there at Baptist Press, I was like, when, when we knew there was an opening, I was like, it's going to be Paul Chitwood. And this was mm-hmm. months before it happened. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "What? why do you think so? I said, I don't know. I just think it is. And then the day that it was announced, he was like, wow, you totally called it. Now, I'm not usually that successful yeah. <laughs> when I, in my predictions, but that one, I nailed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and and you, you picked a good one. So, yeah, that was fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we want to thank our presenting sponsor, Subsplash. Uh, remember, uh, you can get information and even a discount about the uh, the resources that they offer to churches by going to subsplash.com forward slash SBC. Make sure to check them out. Laura, as always, thanks for another busy week here at Baptist yeah, Press and on SBC this week. I feel like we only get to talk about half of the stories that are on Baptist Press in a given week. And mm-hmm. so always check it out. Thank you for listening so much, but don't don't take our word for it. <laughs> check mm-hmm. out all of, all of this and a lot more at baptistpress.com. <laughs>